Let's dive in. We have a, a new sermon series that we're starting this week. I decided to cut our Mission from God uh, series uh, a little bit shorter than I was planning on, uh, honestly, because uh, this one was just like aching in my bones to get out, and uh, I, I just I could not be patient enough to, to, to wait. And so uh, we, we pretty much honestly last week covered the last two ser- sermons I was going to do in that series uh, in, a, in a briefer way last week. Uh, so we're going to drive forward with this with this new one, which is gospel restoration. We're going to look at restoring the gospel and and what it means, why we need to restore the gospel. So, uh, you know, a lot of times in life, um, people will start down um, a certain path for a really great reason. In fact, sometimes epic reasons, like really amazing reasons why they're doing something or changing something or starting a new something, you know, whatever that might be. And, and, and as time goes by, uh, oftentimes what happens is you get caught up in the, um, kind of practicality of making that thing that you started work and you lose sight of the reason, uh, you needed that thing in the first place. I think a really great example of this is honestly our nation. Isn't that like a really great example where our nation was started for very incredible, noble reasons and on great principles and things like that? And I think as the last 250 years or so has progressed, we have gotten further and further away from the original intent of why we needed to be the United States of America to where... Uh, you know, uh, we, you know, in church, oftentimes we'll talk about, you know, if Jesus was to walk into a modern church today, would he be surprised at what it changed into? And I think that that's a great question to actually ask of our nation. If our, if our founding fathers were actually to walk through the nation today, would they be shocked and surprised of what this all has, has, has ch- changed into? Because I think we got so caught up in the bureaucracy of a beautiful thing that we forgot the beautiful thing, Right. And that can happen, and I've seen that happen in churches oftentimes, where uh, the churches get so focused on the bureaucracy of running a church that they forget the beauty of the church, right? And so I, what we're going to talk about for the next uh, several weeks is, is just that. And this is what has happened with the gospel. That the gospel is this beautiful, epic story. Just this beautiful, epic story. And it doesn't start with Jesus. It starts way before Jesus. It's this beautiful, epic story. And we have somehow, over the last 2,000 years, and I think more so maybe over the last 50 years, we have somehow distilled this, uh, what is rightly called the greatest story ever told. We've distilled it down to... um, Jesus wants to be your personal savior. Raise your hand if you want to do that. Or come down and say a prayer if you want to do that. And there's so much more to it than that. And what and, and I'm going to say this too. I think one of the reasons that the church is having such an uphill battle in our culture here in America today is that we have forgotten how to tell the greatest story ever told. And instead, what we're just telling people is, you need Jesus. It's time to get your life right. You need Jesus. And the rest of the world around us is going, I don't need Jesus. I've been doing fine without him, actually. We got money in the bank. 
I got a beautiful wife and a couple of great kids, and and uh, our house is nice, and we live in a nice cul-de-sac. And you know, I, why would I need Jesus? Why would I need Jesus? And there's so much more. And so, what the Bible does a beautiful job of. See, because there's a lot of confusion about the Bible. So the Bible, um, you know, Jesus doesn't come on the stage until you know three quarters of the way through this book, right? And what the Bible does a beautiful job of is all through that Old Testament, it lays this immense groundwork for why we needed Jesus in the first place. And that's really the whole purpose of the Old Testament. If you got confusion about the Old Testament, about that ah, seems dark in some places, and God seems kind of mad in some places, and you know, all you know, just there's a lot of weird stuff in there, and I'd rather just stick to the New Testament. The the whole purpose of the Old Testament is to lay the groundwork for why we needed Jesus. It's the setup for Jesus, but it's an important, important setup. It's the, it's the hobbit to our Lord of the Rings, right? It's that. It's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I was going to say, it's not the prequel to Star Wars. It's, it's way better than that. Uh, but, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's the setup. It's the setup to something grand and beautiful. And the setup is as grand and beautiful as, 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 the, as the climax, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And so what we're going to spend the next several few weeks doing is kind of uh, restoring the gospel, getting it back to its original condition, kind of blowing the dust off on it and polishing it up and, and, and making it beautiful again and telling the fullness of this gospel story because there is a fullness to it. There's a fullness to it. And it starts way back, way back. If you've, if you've got one of the Bibles... In the back, it's going to be really easy to find the page. We're going to page one. All right? One. So if you can count to one, you're tracking with me this morning. All right? So go back to page one, Genesis 1-1. That's where we're going to start things off. And it starts all the way back at the beginning, all the way back at creation. Okay? Now, oftentimes when preachers preach a sermon about creation, you know, we're pulling out all kinds of scientific facts and we're trying to prove that you know, God created, uh, you know, everything and that, uh, science, uh, you know, the, the popular scientific opinions of evolution, everything are, are ridiculous. And, and so we're, you know, we're hitting you with facts and figures and, and pictures of swirling universes and things like that. And, and, and that's not what we're going to do today. We're going to look at what the creation's role in the beginning of this beautiful story of the gospel. In fact, I'm going to say this, this is a sidebar. This is for free. Uh, you, you can just, you can take it and do with what you want. But I think it's a really big mistake that Christians make when we try to turn this book into a science book. It was not written to be a science book. Now, that does not mean it's not accurate. It is accurate. But when you try to make a book like this and turn it into a science book, then, then you get some wacky stuff that starts happening. You start kind of pulling verses out of context. And, well, it says this and this and this. And, 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 and so that proves my point. And then when you look at the, what that passage was actually saying more than just that one verse, you're like, that wasn't saying that at all, actually. And, and, and so it's not, it's not a, a, a science book. It's not a counseling manual either. Now, you can find some great advice in there and some good stuff to, 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 to live your life by, but ultimately it's not a counseling manual either. What this is, this is God's revelation of himself to us. This is everything God wanted us to know about him. And it is accurate in every way, and, but, it is, but it is not, when you try to pigeon, pigeonhole it into one category, things start going way, way off, way off. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story 
of, uh, of Genesis 1-1. I'm, I'm going to get my fake Bible out because my eyes are bad. Um, but we're going to do that. So if you're using one of the Bibles from the back, and, and probably if you're using any other Bible in the world, we're on page one, okay? All right. Um, hold on. Okay. So this is where we're We're going to hit verses one and two. Ready? It goes like this. <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was, out, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hover, hovering over the face of the waters. So that's it. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of this beautiful story, in the beginning, right? Now, the first point I want us to get out of, the, out of these two verses is this, that, and you can fill in your blanks here if you've got your, you've got your uh, uh, bulletin, that there is a God who created everything that exists. That's, that's step one of this beautiful story that we're going to unveil over the next several weeks. That there is a God, and he created everything that exists. When the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, that's, that's, that, that's shorthand for everything that exists. And it's a beautiful shorthand, and I'm gonna, as, especially in today's uh, uh, lesson, I'm going to give you some sneak peeks of the last lesson that we're going to talk about because they both tie in so well together. So I'm going to give you some sneak peeks there. But where this verse, where this great story starts with God creating everything that exists, when God creating heavens and all the heavens and the earth, the story ends, if you flip all the way back to about the next to last chapter in the Bible, uh, the story ends with a new heaven and a new earth. It's all coming back because what we're going to find out next week is that things went awry from God's perfect creation, and it needs to be fixed. And so we start off with God creating absolutely everything. Now, if you've been around here for a while, I've preached some sermons about the kingdom and, and what, that, uh, what that means and how we currently, the way, the way creation is set up, we currently live in this kind of fractured kingdom where we live on this side of God's kingdom, where the church is doing his work, and we are doing our part to bring about kingdom values in this day and in this age and this reality that we live in. And then all around us, all, not so much up in the clouds or anything like that, but all around us, there's almost like this alternative, if you're, if you're a Star Trek fan, there's almost like this alternative universe of, of God's side of the kingdom. And it exists all around. It's the spiritual realm that is just all around us that we can't see, and it, but it's there. And there's, right now they're separated. And occasionally we experience these thin places between heaven and earth. One of those thin places would be prayer. Prayer is this remarkable ability that you, right here in this reality, in this side of the universe, in this side of God's kingdom, Prayer allows you to reach into the other side and speak and communicate with God who is on the other side of the kingdom. It's that heavens and earth type uh, mentality. And one day, uh, because right now the kingdom is fractured. Now, this verse that we read, we're reading this morning, unfractured. Everything's still together. It's all one beautiful, perfect uh, world that God has created. But next week it fractures. And someday God's going to restore it and bring it all back together again. But God created this, this beautiful God. He created everything, everything that exists. That's not a small thing. That's not a small thing. You, I really can't hardly emphasize that enough. In fact, I think it's kind of foundational to us moving forward with so many questions of faith. 
the Bible starts off with this one statement that there's a God and he created everything. And our world has moved so far from that statement. See, back in, you know, Bible times and back in Jesus' days and even several hundred years after the time of Christ, that statement was just a given. There was hardly any person on the planet that didn't believe that statement, that there was a God who created everything. And so now we have, we have gone so far from that in, in our thinking as a people that one of the first steps, like we're telling people you need Jesus and they're not even here yet. They're not even here. Like they're like, why do I need Jesus? Because he's God. Really? Prove it. You know, and so we're kind of there. And I think it's so important as we're sharing our faith and as we're, we're learning this gospel story ourselves, it's so important to start right there that foundation, it's, I mean, it just lays the foundation for everything else that we're going to talk about and everything else in, in faith that you're ever going to talk about. And that's step one. There's a God and he created everything that exists. Everything that exists. He, let's keep reading. We're, uh, we're going to, so God... After, after this statement, after these first two, now that's kind of a summary. Those two verses kind of serve as a summary of, of what, has, what was going on. And then uh, the, the writer of Genesis begins to lay out for us day by day what create, God, God created. God uh, did his creation over a period of six days, rested on the seventh, and each day what he created. And so he goes on to you know create oceans and land, and he creates the stars and the moon and the sun, and he creates... Uh, you know, the, the, the mammals and he creates the birds and he creates everything, the fish of the sea and the plants and, and on and on and on down of all creation. Right. And so then we get down to verse, uh, I believe 28. Yeah, I'm sorry, 26. And then it says this, this is on day six. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, okay. Let me, let me hit that for just a second real, real fast that, uh, right out of the gate, we get this picture of God who is one and many at the same time. Uh, up at the verses we read at the very beginning, we have God creating the heavens and the earth and the spirit of God there present in, in creation as well. And then, and then here we have God saying, let us, let us make man in our image. So all throughout the Bible, God is portrayed as one but there's also this plurality about him that is portrayed as well. And this is where we get the concept of the Trinity, that God is one God existing eternally in three different persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and, and God the Holy Spirit. And so right there, even from the very beginning, we start to see this, uh, this image of God coming about. Let, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have... Actually, I, I skipped over that way too fast. That's an important point. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. We're going to talk about that in a second. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I'm going to come back to that in a second too. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for food and to every beast 
of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And that's a very different... So we're looking at the very beginning of God's creation, right? And it looks a lot different than the creation that we're living in now where all these creeping things, even the you know, the, the uh, you know, kind of alpha predators of the world, God gave them the plants to eat. So you got lions, you know, digging on bushes and things like that, and, and just a very, very different world. This is why also when we get to the end of the book, we, uh, we got one of the signs of the end, not signs of the end times, but one of the results of God restoring everything is uh, God says, and the lion shall lie down with the lamb. In other words, we're going all the way back to chapter one again. We're all going all the way back to the way I intended them to be created, where there's not all this killing and, and eating of one another. Instead, perfect community and perfect uh, oneness with creation, right? And so here we go. And to every, um, let's see here. And it was so, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day, all right? So the, the next point I want to make is this. Here, here, get ready to fill in some blanks. you got about four of them here, okay? God created humans, male and female, to bear his image, to live in relationship with him, and to be fruitful and multiply, and to be caretakers of the earth. That's, that's, that's what that passage that we just read tells us. Every, it's all right there. That God, now, now, a lot of people will look at that God created man in his own image, and I've heard, actually heard it taught that, um, you know, this kind of, of, of um, uh, competition that often takes place in churches between men and women, where men kind of lord over women in the church. And the justification for that is that God created man in his image. But the Bible doesn't allow us to believe that because it says God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. That all of us, male and female, are, are image bearers of God. We're all image bearers of God. Now, what's that mean to bear God's image? Does that mean that we just kind of look like him? There's a family resemblance, that sort of thing. And I don't think that's exactly what it means. And I've used this example before. I'm going to use it again, where I believe if, if you have the idea of kind of an angled mirror, this is what it means to be in, in the image of God. I remember once when I was, when I was uh, a boy uh, getting sick. And, uh, you know, it was one of those times you're so sick, you got to stay back in your bedroom and bed and everything. And I was sick for several days. And I remember my mom... Uh, actually got a mirror and put it in the hallway and kind of angled it a certain way so from my bed I could kind of see the family hanging out in the living room, right? Just so I wouldn't feel so lonely back there. So they could see me and I could see them. And I think what it means to be an image bearer of God is just that, that we kind of serve to the world and to God at the purpose of kind of that angle mirrored, that we reflect God to everyone around us. And then in our worship, we reflect back that praise to God. And we, we, we serve as, as this image bearer of God. And we are all, every single one of us, image bearers of God most high. That's something that, that's, that's a distinctness that he created us, that he created in us. The animals aren't created as image bearers of God. Now, I've got a great dog. I've got a wonderful dog. My dog's not an image bearer of God. My do- she's just not. Now, that doesn't mean I love my dog any less than you because I said that. I love my dog. I kiss my dog. I hug my dog. I do baby talk to my dog. I love my dog, right? Uh, that dog's like a member of our family. But that dog does not have the same 
place in the ultimate kingdom of God as us who are created in God's image have. There's a, very, there's a distinction there in creation. Now, welcome to California where that's not a very popular teaching, but it's true. But it's true. And, 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 and so, in fact, I'll get into that more in just a little bit. But so we are image bearers of God. We are created to be his image bearers. We're created to live in relationship with him. That in God's perfect creation, the way he created everything from the outset, God, we read on further, God actually walked with his, the first humans that he created, Adam and Eve. He actually kind of walked with them through the Garden of Eden where, where he had placed them. There was a, a, a fellowship, a communion there with, with, with him that, that because the kingdom had not yet been fractured like it is the way we live in it today, that it was all together and God actually existed in, in, uh, in really intimate kind of companionship with uh, his, his, uh, his, his image-bearing creations. And so he created us for that purpose, to live in relationship with him. God is not to be some God worshipped from a distance. He's to be a God that, that feels like a friend, a brother, a father. All these different uh, um, images that the scripture conjures up for us to kind of relate to him. There should be a closeness to our God, not something that we just, you know, like like I'm serving God out of duty and, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't really... I mean, I've talked to so many people who have been Christians for years and years and years and years and have no knowledge of a, of a personal relationship with him. And I'm just going to tell you, you're just scratching the surface of faith if that's where you're at. You're just scratching the surface. There's so much more to religion, to Christianity, than just coming to church and doing a few things in service and serving your community and things like that, there is a relationship to be had with the God who created everything. Everything. This is why later on in, in Scripture uh, we, we come across a verse where, where, uh, where it says, uh, you know, and some will say well, when that day comes, when the judgment day comes, some, some people are going to say, look at all the things I did for you. I was casting out demons in your name. I was doing good works in your name. I was doing all this good stuff in your name. And Jesus, or, and God will say, uh, depart from me. I, I didn't know you. Not that they weren't doing good things, because they were doing good things. But there was no relationship. I didn't know you. I don't, I, don't, I don't know you. It's like you walking up to a, you know, a celebrity that you watch on, you know, on TV every single night and going, hey, you know, and, and acting like your buddies. And he's like, I, I, you know, I don't know you. You're a fan of mine, I guess, but there's no relationship. I'm not loaning you money, right? I'm not inviting you to the house for dinner. There's no relationship here. I don't know you. And that's kind of the picture we get of God, of potentially what could happen if all you have bought into is religion instead of a relationship with him. I don't know you. So it's important for us to know him. We're also called to be fruitful and multiply. We're, we're, we need to be making babies. One of my favorite forms of church growth, by the way. Love when we're making babies. Making babies. You'd be out there making babies. That's a great thing. Be fruitful people who are out there populating the earth. That's a good thing. Now, there would be all kinds of people tell you that the, the earth is getting overcrowded and we need to stop making babies and maybe we need to put a cap on the number of babies that can be made. And, uh, and I say, I don't know. I like babies. Keep making them. Okay. God likes them too. All right. And, uh, and then we're, and then finally from this passage, we're to be, God has set us aside to be the caretakers of the earth. He actually has created this beautiful creation. 
the land and the sea and the, uh, the trees and the mountains and everything that's in it, the rivers and the streams and all of the animals and all of the wildlife, all the fish, everything else. And he has said, you're to have dominion over them. You're to take care of them. Now, have dominion over them does not mean, uh, you know, go out and show them who's boss. That's not what this is talking about at all. What it means is that I've given you this beautiful gift. It's valuable. It's precious. Care for it. Care for it. And what happens is when we become the image-bearing caretakers of this planet that God intended us to be, so many of the debates and arguments about uh, you know, conservation or global warming or whatever else that kind of comes up, if we were to really rise to the status of caretaker that God intended us to be, these would be non-issues. These would be non-issues. This would be us using... Uh, um, uh, from the land, what we need to uh, to live and thrive and survive, and then also just taking care of it as something that is precious, something that is God's gift to you. My dad inherited a, uh, from his parents a, a small uh, piece of land. Uh, uh, I say small; I don't remember. It's forty, fifty acres uh, uh, that uh, is just known as, in my dad's language, it's the hayfield. And he refuses to let the hayfield go. Anyway, he's not going to sell it. Uh, he will not sell it. In fact, I think he's written it into his will that even we can't sell it when it comes to us. It's the hayfield, and it will re- forever remain the hayfield, and it will forever remain in our in our. Now, there's nothing on the hayfield except obviously once a year they, they you know they harvest the hay off of it, right? Once or twice a year. The reason that's so important to my dad is because as a kid, my dad spent hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months constantly out in this hayfield clearing rocks off of this hayfield to just make it this beautiful little piece of of ground that would produce good hay and everything else. And he put so much work and blood and sweat and tears that he worked it and he cared for it in such a way as a kid that it is now like immensely precious to him. Just this field, there's nothing on it at all, but it's so important to him. Why? Because of the way that he cared for it. And we're to be caretakers of this earth. And it even means to, to the point of our animals. I know, I know, you know, again, living in California, especially, and it's, it's not just California anymore. It's kind of nationwide now. Uh, we tend to put such an, um, um, an importance um, on, our, on our pets and on our animals and things like that. You will, you will have people um, lose their mind over the mistreatment of an animal, which, by the way, they should. And hardly give a thought to the mistreatment of another one of God's image bearers. Now, there, there, there's something out of whack there. And I think part of caring for all of this creation that God has gifted to us is also caring and respecting one another, uh, who are actually the image bearers of God. I mean, I say all that just to say it's not a political statement at all. I'm just, I'm just reading from the Word here. Not a political statement. Let me challenge you spiritually. Find another way in your life where you can begin to care for God's creation. Find a way to care for God's creation. And, 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 you know, that might look like a different calling for every single person in this room. But just value the gift of creation that God has given you so much that you would become a caretaker of that creation. I think it's actually very important. I think the church has a role in that. So let's keep going. Chapter 2, we're going to skip down to verse 18. All right. 
Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper uh, fit for him. Now, let me give you some some, uh, background on this first. So God had, had, uh, as a caretaker of creation, he set Adam uh, loose, the first man that was created. He sets Adam loose in the Garden of Eden and all the animals are there. And, uh, and Adam is caring for everything, and he's living off the land, off the, off the green stuff. And, and, um, and he sees, he begins to notice the animal, and Adam begins to name the animals. And it seems like, as, as you read before this passage that we just read, uh, that God is taking great joy in kind of watching Adam name the animal. It's like he's, he's kind of making this place his home, and he's giving them names and things like that. And so as he's taking joy in watching this, Adam is watching the animals, and he's noticing that they're all pairing off with each other, Right? And he real he begins to realize, I don't think I don't have anything to anybody to pair off with, right? They've all got a partner, and I'm here in the garden all by myself. And so this is what happens. Then the Lord God said it's not good that the man should be alone. So before this point, every step of creation, every day of creation, God would do a day's worth of creation, and at the very thing, last thing he would say, This is good. This is good. Day one, this is good. Day two, this is good. He's looking over creation. This is good. Day three, day four, day five, this is good. He gets to day six where he creates humans. He ends that day and he says, this is very good. Very good. And then we get into the everyday life of kind of, you know, Adam. And this is the first time that God looks at his creation and he says, this is not good. God created it this way, the way that he created it. And yet he can look at this creation and go, this aspect of the creation, this is not good. We hear a lot of times in church that, that all of us kind of have a, a God-shaped hole in our lives that only God can fill. And if you try to fill it with other things, with relationships or money or jobs or you know, uh, you know, substances or whatever else, you try to fill that craving in your heart with other things beside God, you'll always end up disappointed that there's a place in your life only God can fill and truly fulfill you. But it seems like God created us with another space, another void in, in our life that he himself chose not to fill. Like God is God and he's perfect. And he could have looked at the creation of Adam who was without a partner, without a mate and, and gone. And he could have just said, I will put within them, in their DNA, uh, a knowledge that communion with me is good enough. That's all they need. And he didn't do that. He backed away. He said, this is not good. I need to put also a void in their life that can also only be filled with each other. That we need that kind of companionship in our life. Let's keep reading. So he says he's going to make a helper for him. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, Adam says this, he says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, he's like, I've been looking around all these animals for for a companion fit for me. And at last I found one, right? And the sheep are going, woo, right? So, I mean, you know, so like everything's good. Everything's coming into place, right? 
So <laughs> that was bonus. That was for free. Uh, that's not. That's really not in the scripture. I, I added that. Okay. So. Uh, then, so then this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And everybody said, amen. Amen. That's good stuff. So. Here's where, here's, here's where we look at the fullness of God's beautiful, perfect, uh, unbroken, untainted, uh, um, just beautiful creation. Just beautiful, beautiful creation. The next point I want to make is this. As God's image bearers, we are created with a need for companionship. We're created with a need for companionship. Now, the way the, the Bible fleshes this need for companionship out in this verse is, is, is the need for a husband to have a wife and a wife to have, have a husband, that, that we need that kind of, that we have that need for companionship. Later on in Scripture, uh, in the writings of Paul, uh, we, we also see that, that, uh, that sometimes God calls people into a single life. And maybe that's for a season, and maybe it's for life. I mean, who knows? God's sovereign. He's the one that's in control. And if, if you find yourself in that position where you're single and you don't have that husband or wife in your life yet, uh, then your need for companionship is not any less great. You still have that need for companionship. And God provides, what, what does he provide for us? He provides church. He provides brothers and sisters, friends, deep, deep friendships, kind of companions with you throughout your life that will help fill that need for human contact and human uh, interaction in your life, you need that. So single people, let me just say this to you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Uh, don't despair ab- about your uh, singleness. Don't despair about your loneliness. And you may be like, I'm not, I'm not despairing anything. That's all in your head, Jeff. And that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't know where you are in your singleness. I'm just saying, I remember being single. And I remember there were lots of days where I had a really great time being single. And there were a good handful of days where the, where the loneliness uh, overwhelmed me. Overwhelmed me. And rather than kind of sinking back into the, the loneliness and kind of giving yourself up to the loneliness, seek companionship with good friends. Seek companionship with good friends. People that you can share your life with. And, uh, and that's good. And then for those of us that are, that are uh, married or maybe getting ready to be married, or wherever you may be today, find your companionship there. Find your companionship there. But we have that need for companionship, and like I said earlier, it's a, it's a void in your life that God has chosen not to fill himself. He has called us to do life with one another. The next point is this. God's design and creation was good and perfect. It was good and perfect, and there is a plan to make it that way again. Now, we're not going to get into the, to the breaking of all of this goodness this week. We'll do that next week. But sit on this idea of this beautiful creation that God created. This place, I mean, just, just uh, untouched, this world untouched by human greed, by uh, human dysfunction. Uh, this world where even uh, predators and prey can live together in harmony. 
um, uh, the way that God created it. This world where, um, where we were created to, to walk in perfect harmony and perfect unity with God, the creator of the universe. That his presence was real and it was felt and even seen, I believe, at times that there was a oneness there. A oneness. This perfect creation where, um, like I said, it's just, this isn't, are you getting the sense this is not the world we live in today? Right? I mean, you can read Genesis 1 and 2 and go, okay, if God created it that way, things have changed. Things have definitely changed. The world is now full of evil, and it's full of conflict, and it's full of pain and hurt and, and all kinds of things that have kind of crept into this world and, and, and lawn mowing and just stuff that's horrible, right? And, <laughs> and this is not the world that God intended. That what God intended for every single one of us is this kind of peace and unity and sense of uh, purpose in our lives where we understand the reason that we were created and we live up to that reason. Um, a, a, a peace amongst nations, uh, a peace even in the animal kingdom, a peace just across the board where where the world is just filled with the glory of God. And we have come so far from that original creation. But my word to you this week is this. Don't lose hope. Because hope is on the way. This is just the beginning of the story. I'm going to tell you this too. It's going to get worse before it gets better. All right? But all good stories do. All epic stories do. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, before I dismiss, I want to hit something uh, real fast. This is kind of, uh, I kind of uh, debated where to fit this in at. Maybe I should have fit it in earlier and I'll correct that next service. I don't know. Um, I think I was talking to somebody recently about, you know, most churches have kind of, uh, these are the, the core things that we believe as a church. And pretty much, with, with just a few exceptions, if you go on any church's website, they pretty much all look exactly the same, right? We believe in the Bible, we believe in God, we believe in the Holy Spirit and Jesus and, and uh, you know, that man sinned and God's coming back. And I mean, it's all these things, you know, these things that we believe that are true and that the Bible teaches, right? And uh, I was talking to somebody recently about how I think things have changed enough in our world that there's also another core belief that used to just be assumed because everybody in the world believed it. And maybe, and maybe I'm, st- I'm still undecided. I'm still undecided. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of you know, revolving around it, trying to figure out what, what to do with it. But maybe there's another thing that needs to be a core belief because it is no longer a given that the world believes this to be true. And that's this. You go back into that statement about that we were humans, we were created in God's image. Man was created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. And there used to be a time, up until just actually really recently in history, when the whole world would look at the whole world and go, yes, some of us were created to be men, and some of us were created to be women. It's an obvious fact of creation. 
this is not a, I'm not making a, a statement here on sexuality. I'm making a statement on gender, which I, I think in our culture today is, is actually maybe a more important issue than even sexuality. Because we've gotten to this place to where people can question their gender identity and instead of people trying to help them through those questions, they're just, all that doubt and all of that whatever they're going through, that confusion that they're going through, instead is just simply embraced. It's like seeing a person, I mean, I've used this example before, it's like, you know, if you see a, an actual train wreck and you pull, you're trying to pull survivors out of the train wreck and instead of getting them to where they can be cared for, you just kind of stop right there and say, let's throw you guys a party. Well, that might put a brief smile on their face, but ultimately that's not help. In fact, ultimately it's kind of cruel. And I think we're, we've hit this place in where just this very simple fact of, of, of creation that again has been assumed, believed, a non-issue for thousands of years up until just the last decade or two. And suddenly the question of God creating some of us to be men and some of us to be women uh, is, is all up in the air. I'm not sure exactly what to do with that. I mean, like you guys, I think I'm still kind of processing all of this in my head. And I do think this. I think that if you have a friend or a family member that is going through some uh, gender confusion, um, I, I would, okay, here's the deal. It's super easy to have opinions about people in the, you know, that are in the media. It's super easy to see somebody going through that, you know, uh, that's a celebrity or whatever, and have strong opinions about it and maybe even make snarky comments or whatever. Forget all that. Just, let me just challenge you in your own circle of people that you know, if you have friends or family that are maybe going through that, can I, I, I think, and you can disagree with me, but I think the right and righteous thing to do in that situation is absolutely not to attack them. They don't need to be attacked. They're already being attacked in their own mind, right? Instead, but, but I think the right thing to do is to offer help and wisdom and, 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 and a shoulder for them to lean on and maybe cry on and uh, a companion with them as they wrestle through all the stuff that they're wrestling with. I think the wrong thing to do is to just say, good luck with that and give them a round of applause. I think ultimately it is so cruel to do that. I, and again, the media takes an issue and they elevate it to a place to where it's, you can't hardly, you can't talk about it without being wrong or bigoted or, or whatever else. And, and it's, just, it's just insane. It's just the way, it's the world that we live in with the media and everything. But if you were to talk to somebody who's experiencing that gender confusion and, and, and those issues, um, they would themselves, like they're not experiencing freedom in that. They themselves would admit to you the pain and the confusion and the, everything else that's going on inside their head and inside their heart and trying to figure things out. I don't envy that at all. I don't, I don't, it's, it's like these are people... I think are desperately in need of, of somebody that can help them. 
And so I want to challenge you as a body of believers to say, you know, if I've got somebody in my life, in my circle of friends, in my circle of family that starts to experience that, rather than letting them kind of wander off the cliff because I don't want them to think I don't support them, instead support them by actually supporting them. Support them by actually trying to offer help and companionship as they walk through whatever it is they're walking through. I think, to me, that sounds like the good thing to do, the, the right thing to do. Again, I'm not, talking, I'm not talking judgment. I'm not talking hate. I'm not talking any of that. Obviously, that's wrong. I'm saying when somebody's crying out for help, let's be a people who will actually help. Let's be a people who will actually help. Does that make sense? So, anyway, you can do with the watch. If that makes you leave church, I'm sorry. Um, I just think that's an area of this doctrine uh, of, of kind of the beginnings of things of God's created order that suddenly is no longer a given that everybody just kind of recognizes it anymore. What's that mean for us as a church? What's that mean for the salvation story? Well, I, I think there's a reason God created us male and female. I think there are, there are things that he can accomplish through the, the ladies and the women of this church that he could never accomplish through me. And there are things that he can accomplish through me and the other men of this church that he could never accomplish through you. And that's not inequality. That's just the distinction. That's just the distinctiveness of our creation. And that's okay. We're both created in the image of God. And that's a pretty awesome image to be created in. Amen? And so let's live up to who God has created us to be. God created a perfect, perfect world. It's not that way anymore. But he's got a plan to take us back there. He's got a plan to take us back there. Keep coming back, and because I, I really want to un, unpack the fullness of this story, because it, again, I said, like I said earlier, it's a beautiful story, and I think you're going to walk away from it with a fuller understanding and appreciation of why you need Jesus and why that's so important in your life, why all of this is important to us. There's a reason, and guess what? It's more than just you. It's more than just you. God didn't come into the world necessarily just to save you, even though he did. He's got this bigger picture, this epic story involved, and we're part of the world that he wanted to save. The world. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you for your word to us this morning. I thank you that you're such a good, good God. I thank you for your good and perfect creation. And I think I, I with everybody that's in here today, we mourn the loss of that good and perfect creation. There's so much unrest in our community, in our nation, and all over the world. There's just so much unrest. There's so many people who just feel like there's got to be a better way of doing things. I'm so thankful that, God, you actually did create a better way of doing things. And it breaks my heart that our sin had to ruin all of that. But I give you praise and I give you glory that, that even from the very beginning, as we'll see next week, you've executed a plan to restore everything back to the perfection the way that you created it to be.
Thank you for loving us that mess. Thank you for, instead of looking at our rebelliousness and our sin, you didn't throw your hands up in the air and give up on us. Instead, you began the process of chasing after us. Thank you for not just setting up some uh, uh, unemotional, impersonal, detached religious system. Instead, you want to walk with us. You want to commune with us. You want to live in relationship with us. God, if there's anybody in the room today that, that feels a craving in their heart for that level of relationship with you, that, 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 that right now their Holy, that your Holy Spirit is uh, speaking into their spirit and creating a desire for them to live in relationship with you. Maybe, maybe they've never even felt that before. God, I pray that you would give them the the faith and the courage right now to just step out right where, right where they are. Just pray right where they are and just simply say, God, I want that with you. I want a relationship with you. I want to give my life to you. I want to serve you. I recognize you as the one and only true God. I want to place my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. I want to begin this relationship because I need it. Father, again, you're just so good look forward to the unveiling of the rest of this story. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.